Uh, who do you think said this? Aging is an extraordinary process where you become the person you always should have been. Any guesses? Okay, go ahead, Jenna. Next slide. David Bowie. See, now, if, if I was speaking to the younger crowd, they'd go, who? Well, some of them know who David Bowie is, but those of us that grew up in the 70s, listening to rock music in the 70s, uh, this is the only time I've ever quoted him, and it will be the last time that I, that I quote him. And I think, though, there's a lot of truth to Bowie's quote, it's not always easy to believe. Uh, next slide. Uh, it's, it's hard to believe that it's true that it's the person that we always wanted to be or always should have been, particularly when we look back on our youthfulness and we see what sometimes feels like our best days. This is a photograph that was taken by Tony Luciani. He's a famous photographer who uh, does all black and whites, and he documented his own mother's slide into dementia. And for four years, he took a hundred photos of his mother. Uh, the photo documentary is called Mama. And uh, this next one is my favorite. This is called She Ain't Heavy, She's My Mother. <laughs> and uh, you look at a picture like this, and if you've ever had someone in your life who has slowly started to lose their mind, you, you really wonder about a person's fruitfulness. Uh, none of us have lost our minds yet, at least not completely, but um, we, at this stage in life, begin thinking about our fruitfulness. And there's a promise in Psalm 1, and you all know the text, uh, Blessed is the man, the woman, who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a, right, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. There it is, in its season. And its leaf does not wither, and whatever he or she does, he prospers. And, um, I mean, is this really true? We believe it is because it's in the Bible. But as our body begins to wither and our mind even begins to give way to weakness, can we be evergreen at every stage of our life? Can we be evergreen? Think about what Paul said, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. It's the, it's the fire, so the fire keeps burning brighter, can burn brighter and brighter the older we get. But here's the question that I want us to ask. Uh, what kind of fruit is produced in old age? Does it look exactly the way it did when we were younger, in our prime? Or do the, do the indicators of fruitfulness change? As we age, obviously the fruit of the Spirit's the same, love, joy, peace. It doesn't matter whether you're young or old. What the Spirit produces is love. Uh, look at this next slide. I've, I've thought about this text a lot in recent years. This, of course, is from the famous uh, chapter on faith in Hebrews 11. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying 
blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Now let me ask you, what do you see in this verse about aging well? What's here? Yeah, yeah, blessing others. Yes. Continuing to worship despite frailty. Yes. You know, when you know you're dying, you are completely bold in saying whatever needs to be said to the younger generation because going to be over. So let me just bless and bless and bless, right? Yeah. Providing guidance. A couple things I wrote down in my journal a few days ago about this. This is such a different picture of Jacob from when he was young. When he was young, he was not famous for his worship or blessing others All he wanted was the blessing. Give me the blessing by hook or by crook, right? He was not the blesser. He was the supplanter, the manipulator, the schemer, the grasper. Now, as a very old man, he's blessing. He's not interested in being blessed. It's it's his turn to give it away. As an old man, Jacob's reasonable service of worship, as Chad mentioned here, included the ongoing investment in the emerging generation. There was no worship without blessing the younger generation. The two went together. Uh, And and he actually blessed two generations. He blessed uh, Joseph's sons, so he blessed his grandsons, but he also blessed Joseph in Uh, Genesis 49, he said to Joseph while he was dying, you, my son, will be like a vine that that grows over the wall. So your life is going to continue on even after you're dead. What what a thing to say to your son or your daughter. Uh, Jacob's limitations, and there's two of them mentioned here, the limitation of leaning on his staff. He's weak. He can't walk without his staff. But he's been been limping for a very long time, (laughs) right? right? Remember when God put his hip out. He's been, he's been limping for a while. He's been, he's been leading with a limp. Um, he's also dying. The dying and the leaning only sharpen his calling as a grandfather and as a patriarch. His physical incapacities stoke the flame, and I didn't think about your sermon today when I wrote this, stoke the flame of his spiritual capacity. He becomes more spiritually dependent on God as his physical limitations and perhaps even his mental limitations hold him back from things that he used to do when he was younger. But transitioning to to this kind of mentality, as we know, is not not easy. Um, uh, The other day, we were with my whole immediate family. So we have three children. They're all married, seven grandkids. And we were in a big park in, in New Westminster. And uh, some of the grandkids were throwing an aerobie around. Do you know what that is, an aerobie? 
It's a Frisbee with a hole in it, and it goes three times as far as a Frisbee. So you can throw it a mile. You can throw it a whole football field. And one of the kids threw the aerobi up into a big cedar tree, and it was stuck up there, and he was crying, and he loved his aerobi. So they took a football and tried to knock the aerobi out of the cedar tree. So I said, guys, come on, you know, give it to Grandpa. So I took the football, and I pride myself in being a good athlete. I, I was a good athlete in my day, in my prime. In fact, I did play quarterback, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to show these kids. And I threw that ball as hard, and it didn't even get half the distance to, <laughs> to the aerobi. And my seven-year-old grandson said, looks like Grandpa has lost his arm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, it's not the only thing that I've lost. Uh, if it was just my arm. Uh, yeah, Bubba's, uh, that's what they call me, Bubba's heroic journey is over, and it was evidenced in me not being, being able to hit the Frisbee out of the tree. Maybe you've discovered that what worked for you in the first half of your life doesn't work in the second half. And it's not meant to be. Um, in the second half, we're able to do things we couldn't do in the first half of our life. But there needs to be a change in our thinking in order for that to happen. Some of us become addicted to the adrenaline rush of being in the center of the action. And all of that has to change if we are going to take on a posture that looks more like this. Uh, let me share a little bit of biography with you. Uh, from 1990 to 1987, so for 17 years, Myrna and I lived with our family in North Vancouver. And I pastored a church there, North Shore Alliance. And um, be I was 33 when I started, and I was on my heroic journey. My life was not looking like this at all. It was all about more and bigger and better, and uh, I hate to say it, but the kingdom of Brian. And... Um, uh, we, we did grow, and that's, that's a bit of a curse for a young man with an ego because you begin to think that if, if the church you're leading is growing, then everything must be good with you, and that's not true at all. Uh, it, it, we did grow fast. We went from 250 to 1,200 in, in very short time. We were the fastest-growing Alliance Church in Canada. And uh, I, for some reason, attracted all the shakers and movers. And uh, uh, this is going to sound incredibly arrogant, but uh, there is a piece of art that I could relate to at that time, and it looked like this. I could relate to Michelangelo's David. Now, I never had the physique of Michelangelo's David. By the way, notice I blessed you by not showing the full, uh, the full, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're way too old for that. Um, but um, I, I look at this, and, and I've been, I've been to, to Italy and have stood in Florence and, and marveled at this incredible work. But when I was young, um, I thought, yeah, youthful anointing, or maybe it's just piss and vinegar, I don't know, sometimes they're the same, brazen self-confidence, theological certainty about everything, uh, absolute clarity of vision. This is where we're going. In fact, over the baptistry at North Shore Alliance, I had a big, huge sign made, and it said um, uh, 177,209. Just a number. You know what that number represented? 
all the people who lived on the North Shore at the time. And every Sunday, I would point to that sign and say, we exist for them. And for some reason, that kind of bravado attracted all kinds of shakers and movers. We're going to take the city. All this talk about taking the city. Well, let's just say that in my mid-40s, I hit such a wall, and the church hit such a wall, we were never intended to take the city. How arrogant of any of us to consider that we would. Um, and I began to realize that there are stages in life transformation and ministry transportation or ministry transformation that looks like this. Uh, it starts out starts out with a converted life when Jesus first lights the fire, and we're baptized. We're still wet behind the ears. Then. A church gets a hold of us, and we are discipled, and we're taught to obey everything that Jesus commanded, and we're on this, this growth trajectory, and it's all wonderful. Then we discover the spiritual gift that God gives us, and we begin to live a productive life, and maybe there's a special anointing upon us, and there usually is. And then we hit a wall, and it's often a perfect storm of unrealistic expectations and responsibilities, emotional drain that comes from life itself, identity issues that have never been worked out, personal spiritual neglect, relational isolation, and the list could go on and on and on. But we get to the place where we realize that we have been on a heroic journey, and it, it hasn't been God's heroic journey for us. It's been our own. And the, uh, the PTSD sometimes that comes from hitting this wall makes us go on an interior journey where, for the first time, we move from the circumference of what's happening in our life and in our job and our family and ministry, all the things that we've never had any control over in the first place, and we begin to move to the center and we invite Jesus to perform a healing in our heart. This is something that Via knows a lot about. This is part of your MO. And from the, the interior life, then we move into the truly effective life. And as we get really old, some call it the afterglow. It's the result of finishing well. Uh, this also, um, this, this journey into the interior life is, is an invitation to begin to experience what we call differentiation, which means that now as, a, as an adult who has lived for a certain amount of time with a certain amount of maturity, we can actually step back emotionally from the people that we're leading, whether it's family, grandparents, or grandkids, a church, a business, and we can speak into their lives, and it doesn't matter what their emotional reaction is to us perfectly fine. We're differentiated. We don't need them to like us and praise us. And so if you're a two or a three on the Enneagram, uh, this is going to be very good news for you, is that uh, as we get older, we're not wrapped around the axle as much. There can be all kinds of chaos going on around us, but we can step back and go, no, God is still at work here. 
doesn't matter how you feel about me right now. It hurts. I don't like it, but I can still hold on to you. I'm not going to let go of you, even though you disagree with me. And that's why people our age can really be effective because, like somebody said, when you're in your 20s, you care a lot about what people think about you. And then in in your 30s, you care a little bit less about what people think about you. In the 40s, you, you hardly care at all about what people think about you. And when you're in your 50s, you realize that nobody's thinking about you anyway. <laughs> it's like differentiated. Like, I, I, it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter if you like my sweater, even though I like it. In, in 2008, we moved from North Vancouver uh, to Cloverdale, and this is where I got to meet you guys, uh, where um, the church that I was pastoring in Via uh, entered into a relationship with each other, and, and it was and, and still is very, very beautiful. And... Um, so I was 50 when I took my job here, and I pastored there for 12 years. And it's really interesting because, um, you know, in North Van, when I'm 33, I just show up in a church and everything's up and to the right. And then I come to uh, Cloverdale and I just show up and it's flatline for 12 years. We never grew for 12 years. And then I retired. So for the first five years of that 12-year stint, uh, every year we did an annual review, and I said to the board every single year, I don't think this is a very good fit. Why? We think it's a good fit. I don't think it is. And it's because we weren't growing numerically. You know that um, I, I still had so much to learn about my own heroic journey. My heroic journey was over but I just hadn't come to see it yet. Um, you know, uh, there, there, there's many metaphors that we love about the church. There's the bride, the building, the body, but there's one we don't talk about a lot, and it's the field. Paul said to the Corinthians, you are God's field. And a, a field has an agricultural cycle, which means you can't live in harvest all the time. Uh, and when, we, when Myrna and I entered this 12-year agricultural cycle called Cloverdale, uh, we were not in any kind of harvest, never found harvest. People did become Christians and were baptized, but it was really the non-sexy season of our life of thinking about the agricultural a metaphor, mending fences, pulling weeds, removing stones, and adding plumbing to the farmhouse. It took years before I could see and admit to myself and to the Lord that uh, this was a decade of ministry that was more committed to the root system of this particular church than to bearing all kinds of fruit. And uh, I, I followed two senior pastors who both had committed adultery, and neither of them had repented. This is the history of Pacific Community Church. Uh, the pastor who planted the church and the pastor who followed him were both unfaithful. So the amount of mistrust that was in God's people towards leadership and towards pastors was great. And um, But during that time, from the time I was 50 till maybe 57, 58, uh, it wasn't uh, David's or Michelangelo's David that I felt like. It was Van Gogh's old man. This is how I felt. Uh, the old man in the chair. 
face in his hands, weeping. Weeping because uh, he, his best days seem to be over. And what uh, Van Gogh's old man desperately needed was somebody in the body of Christ with the flame in them coming up to him and saying, your best days, old man, are still ahead of you. Uh, because they are. But that's how I felt. So let me, let me give you a, a, share with you a dream that I had in when my heroic journey was coming to an end. So I had, I had showed up at North Shore Alliance and was, you know, up and to the right and all guns blazing and everything else, and then started to realize that I cannot lead our church to the next level, whatever that next level is. Uh, I can't grow the church any bigger. I can't even grow it deeper. I was coming to my own crisis of limitation and, and really starting to fret that. And uh, I dream every night, but all my dreams are neurotic. They're all, they're all selfish, they're all filled with fear, but I, I know how to dream. And I dreamt last night, but it wasn't prophetic. But this one dream that I had about uh, 20 years ago was prophetic, and I'll, I'll tell you what it was. Um, I was playing volleyball, and uh, we were on the beach, and there were six guys on my side and six guys on the other side. And um, for the entire game, the ball never came to me once. So in volleyball, that's strange, because you're either bumping, setting, spiking, blocking. Sometimes in one rally, everybody can, can touch the ball, even in, in, in one rally. But for the whole, the whole time, the ball never came to me, and I began to get frustrated, and I began to get sad. And then more people came and joined our side, and more people came and joined their side. And it was like youth group, you know, the, the days where there's 30 people playing on each side, and everybody's having a ball. And uh, so now it was less, more or less likely that I would ever touch the ball. And I walked off the court and stood where the coach stands, and I just stood there watching others play, they didn't need me to win, and the dream ended. And I knew immediately what that dream meant. It meant that God didn't need me to be the star I thought he needed me to be. Uh, my heroic journey was over, and the sooner I admit it, the better. And um, it, was, it was sad. It was a sad dream. Then I went immediately into another dream where I was sitting on the beach, too, with my wife on a towel, and I said, honey, I'm going to go for a walk by myself. And I began walking down the beach, and you know the guys with the metal detectors? And uh, they're looking for rings, and they're looking for coins. And I was doing that all the way up the beach, but I didn't need a metal detector. I could see every coin that had been dropped on that beach with my eyes. I had Superman eyes. The whole beach lit up with coins. So I was just digging them up like this. I could just see them supernaturally. And I began putting the coins in my pockets. And my pockets got bigger and bigger. And I went running back to the towel where my wife was. And I dumped out the coins. And I said, look, honey, look what I found. And the dream ended. So the next night, I contacted my board. And I said, um, I've had a prophetic dream, and I need to share it with you. So we had a board meeting, and all the prophetic guys that would feel very comfortable at VIA 
were and taking notes, and they were going, this is great. Our very conservative pastor has had a prophetic dream. And uh, anyway, uh, they, they all knew what the first part of the dream was and agreed, but none of us knew what the second part of the dream was. So I actually drove to Abbotsford and met with a charismatic guy who started a ministry called Samuel's Mantle. He teach people how to live in, in the prophetic. And uh, I, I was a green when it comes to those things. And so I, I went to him and I shared my dream with him, much the way you know Daniel would help Nebuchadnezzar understand his dream. And uh, he, he, he sat there, I think we were at Starbucks, and heard my dream, and he said, I have no idea at all what God is saying to you through that dream. And that was disappointing. But then he said this, but I do know this, that when God gives you a dream and you don't immediately know the interpretation, it's because he wants to have an ongoing conversation with you about that for the rest of your life. It was when, this is interesting, the Via Gang came to our church to do a healing conference. Uh, that no, what it was, it was the it was the Ash Wednesday service where all the young guys were uh, standing at the at the table after everybody had left, and uh, you, Chad, and a couple other guys were praying for some of these these young men. That one of them came to me and he said. Um, he, he didn't know me and I didn't know him. He just said this, you've had a dream, a vision, and God has told me to tell you that you are going to begin to see the fruit of that. You're going to begin to understand what that is. And so I said, great, good, uh, pr pray for me. And so, you know, the, the whole Via gang was praying for me about this. In fact, he said, it, up until now, it's been like a photograph. Um, but it's not going to be a photograph anymore. And shortly after that, I, I resigned from being a senior pastor because I retired, and I became a spiritual director. And now all I do is pick fallen coins up out of the sand. That's all I do. Uh, men and women, uh, a lot of the ministry people who have fallen off the wagon, who are tired and burned out and depressed and deconstructing, and for a whole hour, I get to sit with the coin of their life in my hands, and together we hold that coin up to Jesus. And, and this is truly the most fun, fruitful time I've ever had in the ministry. But something needed to die in me. And it was the heroic journey. Okay, let me read to you a text um, that's very familiar to you. Um, this is Luke chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 25. This is after Jesus was um, born and his parents brought him to the temple after the time of purification was over. And I think you probably know what's about to happen. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, there's three times in two verses, he went into the temple courts, 
When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory for your people Israel. And the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And then there was also a prophetess, Anna. She was the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. And coming up to them at that very, very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. So one of the things that we don't get from Anna is what Anna said. So I would really like to, when I get to heaven and I meet Anna, I want to say, know what Simeon said about Jesus, but what did you say? How did you prophesy about Jesus? But I love the text because there was both an old man and an old woman who spoke into the lives of this young couple. You just think about it, this, this, and this could be via could be any of our churches. A young married couple walks into church with their newborn. They're glassy-eyed and shell-shocked. I mean, not only uh, is this, they, they don't know how to have a baby. They've, you know, they've never had a newborn before, but the baby was conceived under very unusual circumstances. And as they enter church, they are rocked by the Holy Spirit. And it's not through the preacher, and it's not through the liturgy. It's through the seniors' ministry. It's through Simeon and Anna, right? Uh, when I walked in here today, two old people met me, right? You are the Simeon and the Anna of Via. So there was, everybody else was busy making coffee, doing stuff, getting stuff ready. You stepped forward and saw me. You didn't know who I was. Saw me. Hi. Welcome. Simeon. Anna, all of you, this is who you are, right? This is powerful, isn't it, Chad? This is powerful stuff. Uh, think about Simeon for a moment. What is his job description? He doesn't have one. He still loves the temple and temple life. So everything Chad challenged us with this morning about the church, he's still there. His heroic journey is long over, um, in fact, there, there's something that I wrote uh, about, about Simeon a number of years ago um, that I'll just read. It's only one paragraph, so don't worry. Who is Simeon? He's a lover of God. He's involved in the life of the temple. He's waiting for the Messiah, longing, desiring, praying. His favorite Christmas carol is, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Uh, I, I really want us to see Simeon's reality. He's aging he doesn't get many invitations to do stuff for the simple reason that younger men and women can do it better. There's a, an appearance of a loss of influence, possibly depleting energy and charism, most certainly a failing body. 
Perhaps a few of you can relate. We are like Van Gogh's old man. However, the old man is walking in step with the Spirit, and that changes the narrative completely. Three times Luke mentions the Spirit. The Spirit was upon him. The Spirit was talking to him. The Spirit was moving him. Simeon is an old man, but he's a charismatic old man. He's old, but he's anointed. And now in the temple, the Spirit gives Simeon a word of knowledge about baby Jesus. I wonder how it happened. Did Simeon introduce himself to Mary and Joseph when they walked in? Did he ask for permission to take Jesus, or did he just snatch Jesus out of Mary's arms? Uh, Did he say, excuse me, you don't know me, but I know who your baby is, right? How did it happen? We don't know, but all we know is that that this old man who's been happy to wait for the consolation of Israel now is living in union with God's son, and he says, my bucket list is full. You can dismiss your servant in peace. God, the nunc dimittis, let thy servant go. I need nothing else. Ah, but there was one more thing. Not only did he bring baby Jesus into his chest and hold him and speak prophetically into Jesus' life, but when he gave Jesus back to Mary, he said, Now, you two, Mary, Joseph, I have a word for you. This is so powerful. And that word had to do with, um, well, I, I read it. How, how difficult life was going to be for them and particularly for Mary. Right? A sword will pierce your own soul too. Um, Anna does the same. I would have loved to have known what Anna said. And the funny thing, thing about Anna is that she uh, makes it into the uh, Christmas narrative and she is a prophesying woman in a very patriarchal time. And Luke wanted to make sure that she was included in this story. It takes the prophetic vision of a man and the prophetic vision of a woman together to to really bless the church. Powerful. Okay, One one more slide. So, I don't know if you've seen this, this is the uh, spiritual trajectory of, um, of a person, and it's particularly true of men, but I've had women say that it has really hit the nail on the head for them too. Uh, 5, 10, 15 years of age. Uh, all of us are born, and we, we take off like a rocket, or at least we should with the encouragement of other adults in our life. This is the season of ascent. Uh, Every time we uh, get a a good grade in our report card, we're praised. Every time we complete our our song on the piano, we're cheered on. Uh, When we score a goal, it's way to go, honey, way to go, son. So this is good. Uh, There's nothing wrong with an upward trajectory towards whatever the star is. Young men and women who don't get any encouragement on their ascent, they become the juvenile delinquents of this world. So, I mean, children's ministry and youth ministry is fanning into a flame this desire to achieve and become something. There's nothing wrong with this. But this is the heroic journey. And a lot of us, at one time in our life, had this vision of what the star was. It was a certain kind of family or a certain kind of 
children. It was a certain kind of home, a certain amount of money, a certain picture of success. And uh, away we go. But something happens. Between the age of 35 and 50, we experience what I experienced uh, at North Shore Alliance. It was my crisis of limitation. Uh, that anointing does not take us through all the way. And that we can destroy with our character what we built with our charism. Right? And so God actually in his grace doesn't allow us to keep going with nothing but success. We hit the crisis of limitation and the bell curve of our life just naturally begins to go down. And Jesus stands here at this point of crisis and he says, hey, welcome. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it just remains a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. So die, die to your heroic journey. It's going to be way better when you do. This is the season of descent. That's where I I am. I'm descending. I can't do what I used to do. just can't. I can't hit the frisbee out of the tree in so many ways. Ah, but here's the thing. Men and women who refuse to take the paschal journey down, those of us who refuse to pick up our cross, deny ourselves, and die to ourselves and to our old dreams, we might even get what we think we want, but nobody's going to come to us for counsel. We become the old fool. And probably all of us know a few of those. Those that descend all the way down and die to their original dreams, but but realize that God has a new dream for them, become the sages of this world. Nobody goes to a pastor or a counselor or a spiritual director who's still trying to get the star. Because the reason they're coming to you is because they can't, hit the, they can't get the star. And they're going, what's wrong? Why am I such a failure? Right? But there's another one. Some of us know we're not going to be rich. We're not going to be married to the perfect person. We're not going to have the perfect kids in the big house. But we refuse to take the journey down we flatline it for the rest of our life and we become the cynical fool. Negative, critical, bitchy, deconstructing. I once believed, but I don't anymore because I believed and Jesus didn't get me that, right? (laughs) So there's really good news. All of us, except for Chad and Jana, all of us are, how old are you, Chad? Oh no, you're way, way too young. You don't have to listen to this. Um, all of us are here. We're all on this journey down. And the beautiful thing about this is that for this journey, we have Jesus who took the same journey who when he was confronted and when he was criticized uh, did not respond back in anger or trying to defend himself. He took the journey down and it has resulted in life and salvation for us. 
This is the spiritual life trajectory. Is it different for some people? Sure. I'm sure it is. But this has certainly been the story of my life. So what I have to fight is, is not becoming this, not becoming the cynical fool. So, you know, in, in my, my times of reflection and prayer and reading the scripture, just like you guys do, it's like, search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any cynical way in me, and lead me out of the path that I would naturally want to go on. Lead me in the path of righteousness.